right, well, so there's this guy, and this guy's name is John Christ. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He makes these videos, these videos. John grew up in the uh, deep south. He's a pastor, or he's the, his dad was a pastor. He is the third of eight homeschooled kids. His first job was at Chick-fil-A. And uh, on his website, he writes this. He says, coming from a background like that, how do you not make jokes? His favorite, uh, his favorite group to spoof are church people. And he does a pretty good job spoofing them. If you Google his name, you're going to find all kinds of these short videos that he puts out. And we brought one of them here today as we start this talk. Uh, take a look at this. Maybe some of you have seen it. Oh, Lord help us if that is the future of church attendance right there. Wasn't that good? And doesn't he nail it? You know, too much so. Well, virtual church was the perfect name for that video. Virtual church, because how many of you know that is not the church that Jesus is coming back for when he comes back? I mean, that is, that's not it. That, that's a virtual church. And it is certainly not the reality that the first Christians reordered their entire lives around and they were willing to be imprisoned for and martyred for. Jesus cast a vision for a really, really different kind of follower than that, didn't he? Jesus cast this vision for a follower of, of God who was, who was pursuing that walk with God with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. Jesus cast a vision for a people who were connected to one another like a close-knit family. Virtual church sure sounds good on a day like today when the wind is blowing and the snow is drifting. But I want to show you a quote that we introduced last week. It's from a song called Home. The quote is this, Be careful what you wish for. Why? You just might get it all. Chris has another video. And in that video, he talks about real Google reviews given by real people about real churches. If you want to see where virtual church will take you, what kind of discipleship that, uh, that virtual church will create, take a look at that video and what people are saying when they attend churches. That's a great resource. And if you do a little more digging, you're going to also find thousands and thousands of testimonials from people who are becoming disillusioned by their own deconstruction of church. As people point out these flaws that they see in Western churches and they begin to distance themselves from a church family, many people are finding out they're not growing the way they thought they would grow on their own. Many people are really missing the community that had been built into the rhythm of their lives. And if they have kids, a lot of these people are very concerned that their kids are not making the kind of friendships that they know their kids need and their kids aren't deepening their faith the way they'd love to see. The further we walk down that path of making Sunday morning all about us, the closer we step towards a destination that Jesus warned people about. Getting to the end of that path and hearing our Savior say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Well, for the last four weeks, we've been in a series called Our Core. And in this series, we've been pressing into the kind of things that can help us be the kind of church that would be hard to spoof. That almost might be a goal for us, right? Become the kind of church that John Christ could not spoof because it's real and it's authentic and it's legit. In this series, we've been exploring practices like these, confession and forgiveness, liturgy and creeds. Last week, we, we looked at praying together for vision and provision. And today, today what we're going to look at is praying together for healing 
and hope. This has been and should be a core practice of the church. Praying together for healing and hope. And I'm really excited to dig in. We have way more material than I could ever hope to cover, so I'll I'll do my best to to be focused here. And our focus was going to be on James chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. That was a plan coming in, and that's where we're going to go. But the more I dug into James, those specific three verses, the more I thought, you cannot talk about those three verses and not look at the bigger context. If you do, you're going to be in big trouble on that one. So I want to back out from the context and I want to start here with not just what James has to say, but what Jesus did and what Jesus said and taught. So let's look quickly at that. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And as we're turning there, I want to let you know too, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to go home with one free today. Um, Each and every week we keep a stack there at the table so you can can bring one home. Now I want to start here for a very specific reason. I want to start here because I want to show what Jesus was about and what he did. And then it's interesting, if you have your Bibles open, leave them open as soon as we're done with this passage because I want to just show you where this, this passage takes us. So here we go, Matthew chapter 9, let's start with verse 35. And Jesus went through all these cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. How many of you, at the show of hands, can testify diseases and afflictions are real? They are real. We've never had a year like this as a church where more people haven't been affected with real diseases, real afflictions. This is real. And as I was watching that video that we, we saw in light of this message, that virtual reality gear that he put on his head, It reminded me of blinders. It literally is virtual church. You are blinding yourself to the reality that that's what church is about. You know, and that things aren't going to come that are going to wake you up to reality. Jesus warned his followers, in this world we will have trouble, he said. But he also said this, he said, take heart, I have overcome the world, he said. The gospel of the kingdom that he spoke about. This gospel of the kingdom is the good news that there is a good king. And he created a good world. And a day will come when he will cast everything out of it that is not good. There will come a day where every disease, every affliction, even death itself is going to be cast out of the kingdom. Until that day comes, until that day comes, disease and affliction will continue to strike. And when they do... Don't you want something real? Don't you want to not have blinders on? You're going to want something real. Let's continue verses 36 through 38. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. They were harassed. They were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus was a compassionate shepherd. He cared about people. And he encouraged his followers. He said, pray for the Lord to send more workers, more laborers into this harvest. If you have your Bible open, one of the reasons I wanted you to have it open to this section is then just take a look at where this goes then. Jesus doesn't just talk about this. He doesn't just say, pray for people to be sent out into the harvest. What's the very next thing he does? He Sends people into the harvest. That is the very next thing he does. He prays about it and then he does it. He commissions these people. He calls these people and he sends them out. 
And in Mark's version of this same um, sending, we see this. This is an important detail. Mark says this, Mark uh, 6, 13. They cast out demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now, you already start to see there was the every that Jesus did, right? And now there's the, the many. We're, we're following as best we can in the example of Jesus, but Jesus was Jesus and we're not Jesus, right? In that time and in that place with this oil, I want to just highlight this oil piece. In this time and in that place, wounds were sometimes anointed with olive oil to cleanse them. If you know the parable of the good Samaritan, what did he pour on the wounds of the person who had been attacked? He poured oil and wine on those wounds. Olive oil was also used in that time and that place to anoint people with headaches and also for protection from other diseases. But oil wasn't just limited, get this, to physical healing. Oil was also used to consecrate a person to God. Remember that as we continue on with this teaching, because that leads right into my thesis for today. The more I studied James, the more I reflected on what James said about praying together for healing, the more I came to this conclusion. And there's a place to write this down in your notes. This, this is not where I originally thought we were going to land. Praying together can heal us in ways we didn't know we needed. If you take the passage that we're going to look at right now, in isolation, you won't come to this conclusion. If you look at the context, I think this is what that passage is trying to teach. Praying together can heal us in ways we didn't know we needed. All right, here's the passage we're going to look at today, actually starting a little bit earlier than we had anticipated. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 14. If you want to turn there, we're going to be looking at this section of the Bible now for, for a while here. All right, let's start with verses just 13 and 14. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Think about what a beautiful picture this, this, this paints. Not of some kind of virtual thing where you're off on your own world and you're just, you know, it's just you alone with your struggles. But coming together. And how different this is from the behaviors that John Chris so easily spoofs. James instructs people who are sick. He says, reach out to others who care. And in that time, in that place, your church was in your community. You were within walking distance of your church. You had no other choice. James instructed people to reach out to their elders. And when they did that, you weren't summoning a stranger. Because these were people in your community. These were people you knew. These were people who knew you. James uses the term elder. James was writing to a Jewish audience, and elder was the term that they would use for those leaders in their synagogues. Well, in Western churches, okay, this is important. In Western churches, we tend to define elder in a very narrow sense. We tend to define it in a very narrow sense. But as I was doing my studies here in the New Testament, the term appears to be used in a very general way. In the New Testament, if you take it in all of its totality. Paul uses the term elder synonymously with a word that we translate as overseer or bishop in other places in the Bible. Peter links the title elder to the Greek word we translate as shepherd or pastor. In other words, James is not making the case that if you want to get healed, 
that in our case, you would have to have John and Dave and Deb and Dan and Sharon would all have to be at that prayer meeting. You know, and Jordan, if we elect him today at the, uh, the meeting, right? He's not saying they have to be there for the ritual to work, that you have to have those specific people there. James is instructing the person who's sick, reach out to your church leaders. That's what he seems to be saying. Reach out to your church leaders. And the church leaders, in turn, are instructed to pray over that person, to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, there's a question that would probably come to mind. It came to my mind, at least, as you read the rest of the New Testament. And that question is, why is James singling out the elders in this situation? What's he doing? Because as you read the rest of the New Testament, you see that their healing is happening all over the place. And one of the specific things you see is there's some people who are given the gift of healing. There are some people who have been given a special gift of healing. So why not go specifically to them? Now, along those lines, in your uh, notes today, I put a couple resources on, on your green page on the bottom, a couple resources that we want to encourage you to look on if you want to continue to go deeper. One of them is this book. You're not going to find it. Um, well, you can find it on Amazon, but it's, 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 it's probably not one that you've heard of. It was written by a guy, and I, I know this guy. It's called This Mountain. And it was written by somebody who happens to be an ER doctor and who also has the gift of healing. And it's, it's interesting. In the book, he gives specific prayers for specific afflictions. He said, here's what's going on medically. So as you pray, pray like this. It's a fascinating take. Well, if there are people like this doctor who seem to be especially gifted by God with the gift of healings, why did James tell his audience, pray with church leaders who may or may not have the gifting? Context matters. Can I get an amen to that? Context matters. And the more I looked at this passage, the more I realized, I don't think this is about a formula. If you are sick, do these steps, and that's how you get healed. I think there's more to it than that as you look at the context. Again, I have this thesis that praying together, as James instructs in this passage, especially if you read all of James, and this comes at the end, it can heal us in ways we didn't know we needed. With the time we have left, let me give you three examples of what I'm talking about. Let's start with this. In your notes, there's a place to write this down. I think one of the deeper works that God does in our life, if we do what James says to do through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is this, shepherd's hearts. Shepherd's hearts are involved. And that's a big deal. In the New Testament, there is a high bar that is set for elders. They are supposed to be individuals who are wise and caring and spiritually mature. They're leaders who are to become more and more like Jesus. Well, there's a number of churches that are trying their best to set those high bars. I mean, the leaders they appoint today. Just this week, I was reading um, a church, and what they actually do is they'll nominate their candidate for elder, and then that elder has a 6- to 12-month apprenticeship under the other elders before their nomination is confirmed and voted on by the membership. That's interesting. I think one of the reasons that we're seeing more and more of this is because we're also seeing more and more of the opposite, aren't we? I mean, my heart just got wrenched this year. There were two very high-profile churches where their founding pastors and their entire elder boards, well, the pastors were removed. Their elder boards all stepped down, all of them, because they had lost their way. You know, one of the things that we did as we founded a manual is we put this right in our constitution. 
This is at the very top of our elders' job description. Article 2, Section 11 of our Constitution says this, the leadership team shall be ex-officio members of the prayer team, meaning our elder board, shall be members of the prayer team. They shall pray earnestly for the staff, for the congregation and each other. This includes prayer for the sick as described in James 5.14. Why would we do that? Because we want to become a New Testament church. We want to be a church like the New Testament. Where church leaders don't become so focused on organizational demands that we forget who we were called to be. Right? We want to be that. We, we want, don't want to forget why we exist. And may I present for your consideration that entering into somebody's pain Entering into somebody's brokenness is a powerful and perspective-shaping thing. Can I get an amen to that? It is a powerful and it's a perspective-shaping thing. If our church leaders aren't regularly entering into real needs and real hurts of the people that we're called to serve, then we're going to begin to build an organization that's just an organization. And we're following after something else. It's going to be very different than the church that Jesus founded. And here's another thing. Let's move on to number two. Praying together has the potential to do more than that. I think this is one of the ways we can be healed in ways we didn't even know we needed. Making sure that we're keeping all of our leaders in touch with people. Here's another one. Number two. Another deeper work that can happen is soul level healing. Soul level healing. Is another unanticipated result that can happen if we do what James through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is encouraging us to do. At Emmanuel, we don't duck the hard stuff. And in context, James is pointing to something that is, it's, it's hard to talk about, but it's here. Sometimes, sin and sickness are related to one another. James makes that case. Sometimes. In both the Old and the New Testaments, there is a relationship between physical and spiritual wellness. In fact, the Greek word translated as sick in James 5 refers to someone who is weak in faith in Romans 14. Sometimes, and in my notes, it's italicized, that word sometimes, and I even circled it with a pencil. Sometimes, not always, sometimes, pain is a wake-up call. Sometimes it is. C.S. Lewis makes a great point when he says this. He says, God whispers to us in pleasure. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We put that one up at the top of your notes so you didn't have to write that one down. Pain gets our attention. Can I get an amen to that? It gets our attention like nothing else. And James says, he invites us, when that happens, reflect on our lives as we feel it. Here's where that passage continues on, reading. James 5, the very next verse, two verses. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If you can leave that on the screen there for a minute, um, I want to just point out a couple key things. Um, for the record, is every specific illness that a person has the direct result of a specific sin? No. 
Why can I say that based on the authority of the words, the word of God? Because he uses the word if. If. Don't miss that. If they've committed sins, they'll be forgiven. And here's another important point I want to make crystal clear before we continue on. Does James instruct us to only go to the elders if there's a prayer that you want for healing? No. Not only. This isn't an exclusive thing. He says what? He says right in this passage, pray for who? For one another. Pray for one another. This is something we all should be doing, entering in with one another. So again, I want to make this so clear. And the reason I want to make this so clear is because so many people have abused this passage. So many people have. Not every specific illness is the result of a specific sin. And it is not necessary to call upon the elders for this to work. That said, Jesus healed. When Jesus healed, he healed both physically and spiritually. He did both of those things. And we find a connection between righteousness and answered prayer, not just here. Not just here. You can find it in the teachings of Paul. You can find it in at least one of the miracles that Jesus performed, Mark chapter 2. Well, after studying these verses in James 5, which has been on my to-do list for a long time, I am so glad that I looked at this in context. The connection that James makes between sin and sickness makes so much more sense as you just you start at the beginning. I just read the thing from start to finish again. And it seems to make so much more sense. Five makes so much more sense in context. Because up until this point, James has been making this compelling case. He says, live a life of wholeness. He says, faith without works is what? Dead. It's dead. Live a life of wholeness. You shouldn't have your spiritual life and your, your other life, right? You have your life. You're an integrated life integrated life. Here are just some of the things. I mean, again, this is super rapid. Here are some of the things. Here's the trajectory of James from the beginning. Here are some of the reflection points for our lives that we would be challenged on. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Keep a tight rein on your tongue. Visit widows and orphans. Keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Don't show favoritism to the rich. Be merciful. Meet the physical needs of others. Praises and curses should not come out of the same mouth. Consider your motives before praying. Avoid an adulterous relationship with the world. World. Submit and draw near to God. Resist the devil. Walk in humility. Don't slander one another. Remember how fleeting life is. Do the good that you ought to do. Don't hoard wealth. Okay, so these are the, this is where James is going. And then he gets to this part. Hey, are any of you sick? Reflect on your life. Are you living this life where you think you can do whatever you want to do and then just come to God when you need him? You want to have blinders on like that? Or do you want to live an integrated life where everything is coming under the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Including the desire that Jesus has for us to be healthy and whole. Right? Don't, what good is it to gain the whole world, right? And lose your soul. And there is hope when we do this. There is hope when we do this. There is hope when we get to that place when, when the elders do consecrate you with that oil. Or it can, and they're, they're saying, you know, you're consecrated, you're holy, you're set apart, that that could be real, right? There's hope when we do this. Let's jump ahead. James chapter 5, verses five, 19 through 20. It seems like this is where he's going, my brothers. He says, if anyone you wanders from the truth and someone brings them back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from their wanderings, they'll save his soul from death. 
and will cover a multitude of sins. I haven't quoted N.T. Wright for a long time. Here's what N.T. Wright has to say about this passage. He says, once the lesson has been grasped, that in prayer the Christian stands at the overlap point of heaven and earth, of present and future, there's work to be done. To see someone wandering off in a dangerous direction and to do nothing about it is a tragic dereliction of duty. It might be hard to turn them back. They may insist that they're right and we're wrong. But the effort must be made precisely, precisely in the humility and patience with James has been urging all along. When that is done, a bit of heaven arrives on earth. A bit of God's future becomes real in the present. New life and forgiveness are there in person. Perhaps one of the reasons, he says, get the elders there is if the elders are doing what the elders are supposed to be doing, the church leaders, they could look at this individual and say, okay, yeah, we would love to pray for you for physical healing. Let's talk about the bigger context first. How's your walk with God? Because what good would it be for us to pronounce you healed if that's just going to continue to enable behaviors that are going to take you really to a place you don't want to go? A thought came into my head too. This is, this, is, this is fun. A thought came into my head as I was reflecting on these things. When Jesus healed people, he would sometimes say, now go show yourself to the priests, he would say, right? That, that's rooted in the Old Testament. You know, if, if you would often, people would be instructed to go show themselves to the priest. And then the priest could say, you are declared clean and you're welcome back into community. Think how beautiful that is. That James is saying, are any among you sick? physically or spiritually, call the elders. And how beautiful it is for, for the elders to be able to say in this moment, brother, sister, you're whole. You're whole. Welcome. Welcome back into community. Once again, I want to be as clear as I possibly can. If someone comes for healing and they aren't immediately healed, does that mean that those church leaders don't have enough faith? No, not necessarily. If that person isn't immediately healed, does it mean that they just haven't found that unconfessed sin? No. Not necessarily. Unconfessed sin or lack of faith is not always at the root. Jesus makes the point that's not always the case. In John chapter 9, the apostle Paul lived with what? He lived with something that he referred to as a thorn in his flesh. That he prayed for God to take away. If you've ever prayed for healing and you haven't seen that healing come yet, you're in really good company. You're in really good company. We aren't home yet. The kingdom of God is here, but we haven't yet reached that place where all sickness and all disease and all affliction has been cast out. The best book that I've ever read when it comes to waiting well, in addition to the Bible, is this one. It's by Timothy Keller. It's called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. I put that in your notes too. I've never seen a better resource than, than this one when it comes to, okay, how do I wait well? How do I wait well? And I saw a lot of you nodding your heads. It's a, it's a great book. There are going to be times where sickness is not about our sin. In fact, look at what we find in James 5. This comes in James 5 immediately before what we just read. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. Be patient, he says. Be patient, brothers. Be patient, sisters, until the coming of the Lord. 
See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives it the early and late rains. Also, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This theme of patience through trial, like a farmer waits expectantly for a harvest, was introduced in the very first chapter of James. Very first chapter. Look at this. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, whole, lacking in nothing. And that brings us to this third thing that praying together can bring about. I mean, I probably should have four. I should actually say it can actually bring about physical healing. <laughs> Maybe that was the obvious one, right? But it can also do this. It can bring about that steadfast hope. Praying together with others can help bring about that steadfast hope. And steadfast is a beautiful word. It means resolute. It means devoted. It means unwavering. It's the kind of hope that we sang about last week when we sang these words. I know that the night won't last. Your word will come to pass. My heart will sing your praise again. I love that. My heart, not just my mind. My heart will sing your praise again. When we pray together, we're able to remind one another these powerful truths. And how beautiful, how beautiful would it be to in that moment when you're starting to question yourself, is this the result of my sin? For that elder, that church leader to be able to come and look you in the eye and say, no brother, no sister. This isn't the case. And there's hope. You will be healed. I can pronounce that on the authority of the word of the Lord. It's just we don't know when. Let's wait patiently. It might be coming tomorrow. It might be coming next week. It might be coming next month. It might be coming next year. It might not be till the other side. But that day will come. That day will come. Well, our time this morning is just about up. And as we begin to bring our time to a close, I want to encourage you. I would encourage you to write this down in your notes as, as much as this. I think everybody came in knowing this, but let's just write it down. Don't settle for virtual church. It's settling, isn't it? It is not what we want. It's maybe what we think we want. Don't settle for virtual church. There's a God who cared enough to step into our world. He felt pain beyond, pain beyond anything that most of us ever will. And he's invited us into this family, this family that prays together for healing and for hope. Friday night, Laura and I watched a movie that I once again cannot recommend for family movie night. In fact, I forgot how bad it was. In many ways, there's a lot of bad language stuff, a lot of cringe-worthy scenes. But if you want to see a movie that captures these themes really well, it's called Leap of Faith. Old movie, Steve Martin. In this movie, Steve Martin, he, he stars as Jonas Nightingale. He's a traveling evangelist. He's a faith healer, a faith healer. And he's got this whole team. He's got these two charter buses, these two trucks, semis filled with all this stuff and he'll pull into a town and he'll set up their show and he's a con artist he knows how to manipulate the crowd he knows how to say what they think they need to hear and when they start to see all these people healed the money starts coming out and he's got this ace up his sleeve because the ace up his sleeve he misuses this passage that we're talking about and if the healing doesn't come 
if it's legit and this healing doesn't come, he's able to say, oh, well, obviously what's going on here, there's not enough faith in this room. Some of you are doubters. So he's able to flip it. So he's, he's got this great gig going. Well, they're on their way to some big place and they end up, uh, their truck breaks down. They end up in Rustwater, Kansas. And they're in this little tiny town that's really going through a tough time. In fact, about a third of the people are unemployed. They don't have much money, but he doesn't care because he wants to make as much as he can. So he sets up his tent and he's making all kinds of money. And as the movie gets near the end, spoiler alert, but the movie's like 30 years old. So if you haven't seen it by now, you know. <laughs> as the movie gets near the end, this kid comes up who's crippled as a result of an accident. And, and, this, and he knows the kid's story. And the kid's come up a couple other times before, but he's always able to, to work his way so he doesn't have to address that kid. But now he's in a situation where he has to confront it. And so the way he confronts it is he goes to the crowd and he starts doing his spiel. He starts saying, okay, I know there's some of you that are doubters. And he singles out this sheriff who's trying to protect the town. And he says, I know you're a doubter. And all this guy, he's setting himself up because he knows there's no way he can heal this kid. And while he's doing that, the kid is behind him and the kid's going to this huge crucifix of Jesus on the cross. The kid goes directly to Jesus. The kid touches Jesus' feet with the nails in it. And the kid's healed. And there's this unfolding where Jonas, that character Jonas, begins to find himself healed in ways that he never knew he needed. As his eyes start to open of, wait a minute, there's something going on here that I... I, I can't explain. He starts to look out and he starts to see this community for who they really are. These people who love one another and are trying their best to help and serve one another. These people who have authentic faith. And one of the reasons I can recommend this movie is because there's this cross, this, this neon cross in front of the tent. And as I'm watching this movie, I'm seeing this neon cross shining through this broken film through these broken people represented in the film. And I'm thinking, isn't that the church, right? Broken people coming together in a messed up world. Church leaders who are, we're broken, we're, we're, we're flawed people, and we're coming together as best we can to pray for one another, follow that example of Jesus, and trying really hard not to be the kind of people that are easily spoofed, right? And God is at work in the midst of that. I want to invite the worship band to come up and, and seal this time with a song. And, and as they do, I want to write, encourage you to write this down. Who are you praying for? And who are you partnering with? Who are you praying for and who are you partnering with? And we're going to do our absolute best as we can to offer opportunities for that. Each and every week, we have people that would be honored to pray with you after the service. We've begun discussions with the elders to say, well, how can we do even a better job of at least once a month saying, how can we get more of our church leaders to be here to follow that precedent that we see? We want to encourage you. And there we have all these resources. We've got these things called small churches, communities where you can know and be known. People who can know what your needs are and you can be praying for them and they can be praying for you. We've got great opportunities for your kids to get to know others their age. I'm hearing some amazing stories of the prayers that are coming from our kids these days. And as you do this, if you're doing this with authenticity, you're going to see God at work. Why can I say that with authority? We can say that just on the basis of like this last month. We've seen both. We've seen the healing. We've seen the hope. You know, we were invited in to pray for this, this um, family where the, the wife slash mom was going in for surgery. 
and it didn't look good. There was a mass that was there, and it was real, and it was on the doctor's film. And she went in for surgery for that thing. And they sent her home because it disappeared. Does God heal? Yes. And then, while that's happening, we're also invited into another situation. We're praying for another family. Amen. And we're not seeing the physical healing. But let me tell you what we are seeing. We are seeing such an example of hope that this man, he's able to say with authenticity, it is well with my soul. If I win this victory on this side, praise God. If I'm healed on the other side, praise God. You talk about inspiring. I want to invite you into that. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you inspired the words we need. That you invite us to come just as Jesus did and be physically healed, but yet you don't stop there. You invite us to come and be healed all the way to our core. Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters who've been told lies. That unanswered prayer is always the result of their sin or a lack of faith. Lord, this is a world that is so much more complex than any of us can understand. But you see all things and you know all things. Lord, help us to experience the power of entering in to authentic prayer with others. And may that power change us. Make us more like you and give us a hope that is unshakable. In Jesus' name.